Uh, if you want to pull out the listening guide that you received on the way in, straight from FedEx Kinkos. <laughs> Uh, so the next four weeks, I, I want to talk about some very specific things. I, I want to talk about the kingdom of God uh, and how it intersects with some very specific areas of our life. You see at the top, uh, giving credit where credit is due, that's also blame where blame is due. So if you don't like anything that I say tonight, I've listed the names of the people that you can blame uh, right here. No, I'm, I'm just kidding, but I, I do want to thank them for their help. You'll see at the top of your listening guide, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, if you read the Gospels, if you started today, if you went home tonight, you could read the Gospel of Matthew probably in a little over an hour. And what you would see is Jesus referring to the kingdom of God uh, over and over and over and over again. It, it, he talks about it over and again, over and over again. And here's what I noticed about my life. I talk about it very little. I talk about church a lot. I, I talk about the Bible a lot. I talk about prayer a lot but very little about the kingdom of, of God. And I'm guessing if you're anything like me, that's also true for you. At the same time, related but maybe unrelated, I, I go and read the book of Acts, and I just don't know if my life fits in there. I would like it to fit, but one of the things that we read pretty early on in Acts is, is they go to church every day. I mean, show of hands, how many of you want to come to church every day? I work here. I don't want to come here every day. You know? and in fact, just imagine yourself. If we just said, hey, new culture at Bayou City, it's every day. Uh, we would be all looking for new churches uh, because it just doesn't fit. That seems like a, a totally just different world. Um, they are expecting miracles constantly. Another little story in Acts is that they are praying and there's such hunger for God and grace from God that the building that they are in begins to shake. It's like there was an earthquake, but just at this one specific address. Like that's totally foreign from any experience that I've had and I'm guessing you have had. And I can't say with complete confidence, but I wonder if those two things are connected. We are not really living lifestyles and having experiences according to the book of Acts. Um, and at the same time, we're not understanding and, and, and talking very little about the kingdom of God, which Jesus talked about all the time. And I wonder if they're connected. Um, and so I thought we would just spend the next couple of weeks talking about the kingdom, trying to understand it a little bit more. Um, and I, I just mostly want you to wrestle with what does it mean that I am a citizen of another kingdom? I don't even know that we'll come to that many conclusions, but I would just love if you and I, maybe even us together, would begin to wrestle with, we are a part of something that is powerful but invisible, and what if it became more of our identity than anything else? What if I and you begin to think of ourselves as kingdom citizens first, at the top of the list, and way down at the bottom was whatever is second place? Because this was Jesus' message, repent, change, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. There are lots of ways to define the kingdom of God. 
in fact, you'll see at the top, George Ladd, N.T. Wright, Timothy Keller, they all sort of say the same thing, and yet they say it a little bit differently because Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom. It's hard to do what most of us want to do, which is just give uh, a, a, something in a single statement. Uh, one sentence, here's exactly what it is. This is the way that I've been thinking about it, and it's been helpful to me. It's the second thing in your listening guide. The kingdom of God is whoever, wherever, whenever Jesus' lordship is acknowledged and obeyed. The kingdom of God is whoever. So whoever is gathered. So we are gathered here tonight. Whoever. All of us brothers and sisters. And we are trying to obey Jesus. We are saying he is our Lord. And more than that, we want to do the things that he says to do. We want to be the way that he says to be. And so I think we can say with confidence that the kingdom of God is here among us tonight. Whoever. Wherever. So here in Houston. In suburbs of Houston. uh, In China. In Iran. Iraq. France, England, Africa, Australia, wherever, whoever, and whenever Jesus' lordship is acknowledged and obeyed, that is where the kingdom of God is. The way that George Ladd defined it many, many years ago, uh, he has probably done the most scholarship on the kingdom of God. He has some great resources out there. He was a professor at Fuller Seminary for a very, very long time. He said the rule or the reign of God, that is what the kingdom, wherever God is ruling and specifically, specifically ruling through his son, Jesus, that is where the kingdom of God is. So Jesus' lordship needs to be acknowledged. I mean, that's what it means to be a Christian. Um, in case any of us are confused about that tonight. You know, some people, they want to be more Christian, so they, they come to church. They try on some Christian habits, and, and those are all good things. But what makes you a Jesus follower is saying, I believe that Jesus is Lord. Right? I, I confess that. In fact, the scripture says that you have to do that out loud to be a follower of Christ. Whenever I was growing up and there was an opportunity to, uh, for people to, to become Christians, you know, the pastor would get up at the end and he would say, I'm going to give everybody opportunity. He would always have us pray uh, in our heart, which I don't I mean, that's, you, you know what I mean? Like pray silently and not out loud, just something between me and God, right? But to be a Christian, Romans chapter 10, verse nine, for you to be saved uh, into God's kingdom, you have to confess with your mouth. Like you have to say that out loud somewhere, sometime. You have to say out loud, Jesus is my Lord. Right? So it's acknowledging Jesus' Lordship, but then it is obeying Jesus' Lordship. Right? It's not enough to just say with our mouth, yeah, Jesus is Lord. We prove that in obedience. Right? So as we've been reading through the scripture this year together as a church family, right, Reading the Bible is, is good. That's part one. In fact, I think it's a reasonable expectation if you are uh, consider yourself a part of the brothers and sisters here at Bayou City, which sounds like a cult, a part of the family of God, which also sounds like a cult, uh, here at Bayou City, it is a reasonable and it is an expectation that you would be reading the Bible every day. Um, so I just would just love to say that out loud. I want you to expect that out of me and I want to expect that out of you. And so reading is good. Listening, however you're taking in the scripture, it's part one. But the part that takes it over the top, the part that proves that Jesus is your Lord, is then you do what it says. You know. So right now we're reading the Old Testament prophets. And, 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 and so wherever there is an action step in there, you want to write it down. Just, I encourage you just to write it down separately. And then that day, try to do it. 
try to apply it in the way that the rest of the scripture, especially the New Testament, would have you, you do it. It's acknowledging Jesus' lordship, and then it is obeying Jesus' lordship. So if we are a family that is coming together, confessing Jesus is Lord, but then God would look at our church family and say, yeah, but you guys are not doing any of the things that I, I want a church to do. If we were a prayerless church, if we were a church that was ignoring the word of God, if we were not a church that was loving and kind and caring and welcoming and opening in a church that is justice seeking, then God would say, no, you're not a, there's no kingdom there. There's, there's church, there's religion, but the kingdom is wherever Jesus' lordship is acknowledged and obeyed. Next thing you see in your listening guide, the New Testament uses kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, eternal life, and the age to come interchangeably. So as you're reading the gospels and Jesus is teaching about all four of these things, you can know that they sort of mean the same thing. Each of them has their own emphasis, but Jesus used these inter interchangeably. And in his thinking, and in fact, all of the scriptures thinking, there is, you see this in your listening guide, there is the present age. That's the age that we are living in right now. There will be Jesus' return, and then there will be the age to come. So Jesus would teach his disciples in this age, and then he would say, but in the age to come. In fact, the, the New Testament says that in this age, this time we're living in now, Satan is actually its ruler, which is a hard thing to understand because God is sovereign and in charge of everything, but somehow in his sovereignty, he has let Satan organize everything. That's why the systems are broken. Right? That's not an America thing. Uh, that is a world thing. Wherever there is a system in this world, it will be broken because the one organizing all of those systems is Satan. Uh, the, the New Testament also calls him the prince of the power of the air. So God, for some reason, in his sovereignty, which I don't understand right now, and if you understand it, I would love for you to send me an email, has chosen that Satan is organizing things. But when Jesus returns, Jesus says, okay, that age is done, and now things are going to be organized by me. Now my law, my way, my rule is not just going to be obvious, but it is going to be obeyed, right? That is gonna be the big difference between the age that we're in now and the age to come. In the age now, especially we think about, at least in the southern half of the United States, lots of people know the way of Jesus. There are podcasts, there are books. Uh, I mean, I saw a spiritual book at the FedEx Kinko's this afternoon, right? Like you can get access to the way of Jesus. The difference between this age and the age to come is in this age, people just ignore it. But in the age to come, people will obey it. Everything will be organized after he returns. The next thing in your listening guide, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, eternal life, and the age to come are here and now for all those who hope in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So this is a really good news that Jesus goes around uh, talking about. Like in John chapter 17, he says, this is eternal life, that we would know the Father and the Son whom he has sent. Right? So that's the good news. E eternal life isn't just something in the future. For those who hope in the death and resurrection of Jesus, that eternal life is given to us as a gift. So the same thing with the age to come, the kingdom of heaven, uh, the kingdom of God. Yes, it is very much a future thing, but when we put our hope in Christ, 
God deposits that future thing into our lives right now so we can enjoy eternal life. We can experience the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven here. We can know what the age to come is like. So ideally, the church, and we're going to talk about this in week four, the church, when we get together at 1400 Britmore, it is the culture of the age to come. Whenever we gather in community groups all around Houston, uh, starting in September, when we're there in a, in a group of 20, uh, all together, coming under the scripture, loving one another, fellowshipping one another, breaking bread, if, if we invited someone into that, they would be getting a taste of what the age to come is, but right now. Right? So God has, has graciously opened the door and isn't just making us wait for the future. He's, he shared this experience with us now. You know, what's interesting is when I was early in my ministry and kind of being trained at my church and in uh, college, we would go on, on, on mission trips around the world. In fact, what's interesting, you know, I grew up in Southwest, uh, Southwest Missouri. We actually took a mission trip uh, down here to you pagans in Houston, Texas. So us godly people in Missouri, we got in a church van and we drove uh, 12 hours to come and make sure that you understood about the kingdom of God. And uh, literally, we did ministry just five minutes away from here. And, uh, and when we were, were being trained and people were teaching us how to do that, and I was probably in my early 20s, um, late, late teens, early 20s, I guess, they, they would train us. You know, if somebody decided to believe in Jesus, you know, we're sharing the gospel, we're telling them about Romans chapter three, verse 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans chapter six, verse 23, you know, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. John chapter 14, verse six, the way of the truth, Jesus said, I'm the way of the truth and the life. You know, those things at the end, you say, hey, do you wanna believe this? Do you wanna believe that Jesus is Lord? And they taught us, you know, if somebody says yes to that, you can help them pray, but then make sure to tell them that they, they shouldn't expect anything to change about their lives. Right? You know, this is just kind of just would be kind of business as usual, except for now they will have believed in Christ. But if you've read the gospel and you understand the kingdom of God, it should have been the opposite. I mean, somebody should have been telling you whenever you confess Jesus as Lord, hey, everything is different now. Everything. You are different. What's possible for you in this world is different because for a long time, the age to come for you was just a future thing that you were either gonna be blessed by or cursed by, but now because of Jesus, now the age to come is present in your life now and nothing will ever be the same. That's what somebody should have been telling us. But again, that's not most people's church experience in America. And so we end up saying, hey, you believe in Jesus, but everything else about your life is gonna be the same. But how can it be the same if God has shared heaven with us now, if, if he shared eternal life with us now, if he has shared the age to come with us now. So we are citizens, the New Testament says. We, we are citizens of heaven right now. So I'm guessing you are a dual citizen. Maybe not all of us are citizens of the United States, but you have a citizenship somewhere. Right? We are dual citizens we very much understand our citizenship. For those of us who are Americans, our American citizenship, we are being discipled in that all the time. Even when we go places, we sing the hymns of America. Right? We say a pledge of loyalty to America every day that we were growing up in school. So we, for the most part, understand that citizenship, how to get it. And, and what it means and what your obligations are. But we are growing and learning what our citizenship in heaven means, how we get it, what the expectations are. Right? 
but how do I do those two things at the same time? And so I want to spend a little bit of time thinking and talking about how I can be a citizen of the kingdom and a resident of the United States of America. Amanda and I actually lived in England for uh, five months, which is, you know, that's sort of just a long vacation. Uh, but uh, it was long enough to understand uh, that there is a difference between England and the United States. And uh, about the halfway mark, kind of month three, we took a little uh, trip to London. It was our second honeymoon. Uh, we were in the opposite of London. You know, London feels like a, a romantic comedy come to life and they have these amazing accents. We were not in that part of England. And so for our anniversary, uh, our second anniversary, we, we, we drove down to London and the, at the time, I don't think it's in business anymore, but at the time there was this restaurant called the Texas Embassy. Anybody ever been to the Texas Embassy? Yeah, right. So it really was just a Mexican restaurant, uh, sort of. But and and the the owner, if I understood the story right, the owner was from I don't know if he was or he or she was from Texas, but they were definitely American because they had Dr Pepper there at the time. <laughs> Nowhere in England did they have Dr Pepper at all. And so one of the first things that we did when we got to London is to get to the Texas Embassy because even though we were there for such a short time, we were homesick and we missed the United States. And so as we talking about that, I don't want anybody to get the impression. I don't, I don't need any emails about where I could go and live. Uh, I, I understand that we are very lucky. This is, you know, in my opinion, one of, or if not the greatest country on earth. I'm glad my children are born here. We have freedoms and an organization here that the rest of the world uh, envies. And so that's all of my get it out. Um, <laughs> But that is not the way you and I should think of ourselves. We should think of ourselves as citizens of the kingdom of God. Because that travels, that travels everywhere you go. So this is an amazing place to live. And it is not your truest citizenship if you have confessed Jesus as Lord. So a couple of things that you see in your listening guide that I don't want to plant in your mind. As kingdom citizens, we need mustard seed living. Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 and 32, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. So the point that Jesus is making is that the kingdom of God is small. Right? In this age, the kingdom is very small. I think kind of from our Western mindset, when we read that parable, we focus on what he says at the end. It's going to become the biggest tree. Right? It's going to grow. It's going to take over. But when you read the Gospels from beginning to end, you understand that Jesus, when he talks about that, he's not talking about here and now, present in his ministry. He's talking about the age to come. After he returns, when everything is full, that's when the kingdom is going to be the biggest of all the trees. But right now, it's just a very small seed. Right? So I've been thinking a lot about Rhode Island, as you do when you're reading the Bible, right? <laughs> I know very little about Rhode Island. In fact, it is so small that you can barely see the outline up there on the right. You can see the little red, red thing. Uh, honestly, I don't know. Uh, I can't think of any close friend who, that I know has ever been 
to Rhode Island. I know there are some mansions there that people like to see. There was an episode of This Old House that took place in Rhode Island. And that's the beginning uh, and end of my knowledge about what I'm sure is a very wonderful place to go and, and, and live. Right? So in Rhode Island, I'm guessing they have laws and uh, a court system and uh, 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 child protective services there and a, a DMV to get your driver's license. They have some things that are very specific to Rhode Island. I- I'm guessing that they have an accent that is a little bit unique from their brothers and sisters in Connecticut and, and in Philadelphia, right? It's specific to Rhode Island. I bet they have some culture. I bet they have some kind of food uh, that is specific uh, to them. If you consider yourself a Baptist at any point in your life, you can thank Rhode Island. It was the very first Baptist church in America it took place there. That's kind of random, isn't it, right? right? So it's unique and, and small, but it is very much a part of something bigger. And we need to think of ourselves as followers of Jesus in the same way that I'm guessing people from Rhode Island think of themselves. We are small. We are a part of something that's very big. We are surrounded, but we are unique. Just like there are distinctives that are true about people of Rhode Island. Again, I'm guessing Wikipedia didn't have that entry. We have distinctives as people who are a part of the kingdom of God. Rhode Islanders probably like a certain food. Um, we live with radical generosity. Sets us apart. Makes us distinctive. Um, they have laws that are unique to them. We have laws of obedience in the kingdom that are unique to us. That's why we're so out of sync with the rest of the world in in sexual ethics. It's not because we're prudes. It's not because we're backwards. It's not because our ancestors are the Puritans. It's because God has decided that one of the distinctives of the kingdom of God is this is the way that we act. This is the way that we organize ourselves. These are the values that we, we have. And Historically, the church has known itself as a mustard seed. When you read the book of Acts, they very much act like a mustard seed. They spend very little time in the scripture talking about those out there. They're always talking about what's happening inside the church uh, and how to live inside the culture. But they are mustard seed thinking ideas. They are mustard seed thinking uh, commandments and uh, laws of obedience. Uh, They are holding one another accountable because they view themselves as something unique and distinct inside at the time, the Roman culture. A couple of hundred years after Jesus resurrected and ascended into heaven, Constantine was the Roman emperor and he became a Christian. Now, he sort of backtracked on that. It's, you know, history is complicated and nuanced, so I think you should, that we should say that. But in 381 AD, um, after Constantine's reign, Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. 
Uh, up until Constantine, uh, Christians were persecuted different places. The Roman Empire was huge, of course, but in the eastern half of the Roman Empire, there was a real sense of persecution. But after Constantine, uh, Christianity was embraced and it became the official religion. And, and that's what we are experiencing here in the United States. Christianity, of course, is not listed as the official religion because we're in a place that has freedom of religion. But if you ask most people, right, think about most of the people that you know, they either are actively Christian or passively Christian, uh, culturally Christian. Right? Think about the way our government was founded, the things that they said, even though most of those people were not followers of Jesus, they were at least subscribing to Judeo-Christian values, right? So America is more like the Roman Empire after Constantine than before Constantine. And that comes with some benefits. Freedom of religion is obviously a benefit. We don't have to worry as much about persecution. But it comes with a severe disadvantage that we don't have mustard seed kind of living. Right? Uh, so we try to take a shortcut. Um, we'll try to make our country Christian through legislation or through cultural influence. Instead of doing the hard work of being a local church, a local embassy of the kingdom of God and winning people one on one as we go and share and live out the gospel, we'll just sort of do a mass approach. Remember, the Puritans were here before the America was really founded. They were sort of the people who uh, came over from Europe. Uh, the Puritans were very strict. I mean, even, even you hear that word Puritans, like it doesn't, you don't really want to be a part of it because you can kind of just feel them being super uptight. Well, one of the things that they, they did was they, they sort of formed their communities and then they made it law that you had to be a Christian. Now, maybe they wouldn't say you'd have to be a Christian, but if you wanted the benefits of being a part of the community, you had to be a member of the local church. So you couldn't vote unless you were a member of the local church. Couldn't own land unless you were a member of the local church. Right? But what are they trying to do? They're trying to make their community Christian. Right? But that's the Roman Empire after Constantine. That's not the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, it's just this really small band of radical, committed Jesus followers. And, and doesn't it seem backwards, right? We look at ourselves now and we are, for the most part, the majority religion in the United States of America. But if you asked us in here, we would feel very little, uh, we would not feel that influential in the course of American history moving forward, right? We talk like we're being persecuted. We talk like we're being pushed to the side. We talk like nobody is taking on, uh, nobody's listening to us, nobody is respecting us. We are the majority, but yet we are... Um, acting as if we have no influence in the world. But when you read the book of Acts, it seems like God can do anything through them. Right? That anything is possible when they get together and pray. Right? And because they know they are a mustard seed, they do get together and pray. Right? They never know who's going to report them. They might end up in prison. They might have their things stolen. For them, in the book of Hebrews, they're worried about going and visiting people in prison because they might end up in prison. They are a mustard seed. And yet their potential is off the charts. And so I think that I would love to think of myself not as a part of some massive 
powerful group of people that can influence the world through legislation and writing letters to television stations. I would rather be a part of a small band of people that get together and pray. I would rather be a part of a small band of people who would ask me, hey, when was the last time you told somebody the good news of the kingdom of God? And I'd be like, well, I gave that social media post a like. It's mustard seed kind of living. Second thing you see there, render to Caesar. One of the strategies of the religious leaders to bring down Jesus was to paint him as a rebel against the Roman Empire so that the Romans would, would remove him. They would kill him, essentially. I mean, that is even the religious leader's strategy when they take Jesus to Pilate. If you remember, after they arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, they first give him their own trial. Uh, just the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, in the middle of the night, they come and they bring these false witnesses together. But they, they didn't want to get their hands dirty, so they take him to the Roman uh, Empire's governor, Pilate, and they paint him as a you know, rebel. They paint him as somebody causing trouble for the Romans so that the Romans will kill Jesus. They don't want that blood on their hands themselves. And so they had tried that tactic earlier by getting him to admit that he and his followers didn't need to pay taxes. And, and so at one point, Jesus says to one of the disciples, hey, go and pull up, find a fish. And, and they catch a fish and the, the money for the tax is in the mouth of the fish. I mean, that's pretty crazy. I mean, if you were skeptic about Jesus up until that point, that should push you over the edge, right? <laughs> and so that's the context in which Jesus says what is familiar to you. So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's? He, he essentially says, pull out a coin. Whose picture is on the coin? It's Caesar's. We'll give that coin back to Caesar. His point is, is even though we're a part of something small, even though the kingdom of God is near and we are citizens of the Roman Empire, we're members of the Roman Empire, we're, we're different, we're mustard seed living, but we're still going to give to Caesar what's Caesar's. We're still going to pay taxes. We're not going to withdraw we're not going to you know, buy a bunch of land out in Montana and just sort of move out there and try to create some utopia of Christianity. That's what the Puritans were trying to do, and it's just not effective. So Jesus right away is, is saying, we're not trying to do something separate. We're not creating our own society out here. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's. And, and so, listen, don't pay your taxes. You know, uh, Obey the laws of the land. Uh, be a part of planet Earth, and specifically be a part of the United States. Jesus did his ministry totally in the context of first century Israel within the context of the Roman Empire. Vote, participate in the economy, pay your taxes, obey the laws, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. The next thing, prophets and pastors. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, that those who are a part of his kingdom are salt and light. And I think salt and light can bo be, both be very pastoral and very prophetic. Uh, salt can be pastoral in the sense that it makes your food taste good. You know, McDonald's french fries taste better when they're salty. Uh, we were at Whataburger yesterday because, you know, diet. And uh, 
we were driving. There's, there's no calories if you're road tripping somewhere. It's, it's, it's free. Um, and the Whataburger fries didn't have any salt. And so you bet we went to the little tray of ketchup there and got some salt packets, right? Salt makes things taste better. But if you've ever, ever had salt in your eye or salt in a wound, there is a sting there. Pastoral and prophetic. Light is the same thing. Light adds a ton of benefits, but if you've been in the dark and the light comes on, there is a, there is like a, whoa, a a shock to it. And, and that's how we need to be living because we are a mustard seed. We need to be both pastoral and prophetic in this world. We need to be pastoral because the world has wounds that God has uniquely qualified us to bind up. There is brokenness because, again, who is ruling this age that we are living in? Satan, there is a brokenness here that you are the salve to. You have medicine for. And God has placed you where he's placed you to be a shepherd that can lead people to green grass and still water. Be pastoral. I was talking with some friends here at church this morning. And they, they had a couple of guests at church that they had met at the Chili's. She was the, their waiter, and they just kept going back to the Chili's, and they got to know her. And uh, they started building a relationship with her, so much, in fact, that, that she asked him to, to officiate their, their wedding. Right? I mean, how cool is that? This, this young lady didn't have a pastor, didn't have anybody, but, but through a, a Christian... Just going to eat. This is beautiful friendship. And the, the door of the kingdom is wide open for them. And they were at church there this morning. Be pastoral. Who, who has God placed in your life that you can comfort, that you can care for, that you can represent Jesus well to? But we also want to be prophetic. Whenever the prophets of the Old Testament came knocking on the doors of the king, those kings were like, ugh. I mean, go back and read the stories of Elijah. Just nobody liked Elijah. When those prophets showed up, they weren't always incredibly welcome because they were going to tell the truth. And God has given us that role in America. To be pastors, yes, but to be prophets, to say there is a right and wrong, and what you're doing is wrong. That is not good. You know, we live in a. Put your seatbelt on here, then I'm gonna walk through some landmines if you don't. <laughs> We, we live in a two-party government system right now. Okay, so there are Republicans. You've heard of these people? Republicans. Yeah. And there are Democrats. And um, each has parts of their agenda that as followers of Christ, our mustard seed, we should amen. Right? Not because they are the agenda of that particular party, but because they are those things are a part of the age to come, right? So Republicans historically, I'm painting with a broad brush here, okay? So historically have been non-supportive of abortion, pro, pro, 
life in utero. As Christians, we should be like, amen to that. God creates life. Psalm 139 says that you were knit together in your mother's womb by our Father God. So, so we should aim in that. Um, uh, the Democrats, again, broad brush, they more likely are, they care about the poor more. Uh, they may want to tax you a little bit more, but they want to create programs that look out for people who uh, sometimes get lost in our organized society. And if you read the Gospels, you should know that as a follower of Jesus, you should never side against the poor. Ever. And listen, that's not me telling you that. That's just a, hey, recommendation from reading the Bible. Uh, So we should amen both of those things. Now you only get one vote. So that's a tough call, isn't it? Um, But... You have 364 other days a year to be pastor and prophet. To say amen and to say no. To point out truth and affirm it and to point out injustice and condemn it. And what's an interesting moment for for Christians, I think in America, again, in the last 30 or 40 years, is for the last 30 or 40 years, Christians have been the furthest right in the political spectrum. Uh, and, and now we're in this interesting moment where a, a Christian can look to their right and there are people further right on the political spectrum who are, are espousing a conservatism that doesn't reflect Jesus at all. But because, at least I'll speak for myself, I've grown up in a world in which the people on the right have been most likely to celebrate my faith, I have not been trained to say to anybody on the right, hey, that's not good. Or no, that's not, that doesn't represent Jesus or I can't support you. Even though you are sort of on what historically has been quote unquote my side. So we have a bunch of national pastoral leaders of which I am not one clearly. Uh, That's why it's easy for me to say this tonight. who don't know how to look at people in power and say, that's wrong. They gladly speak up when someone does right, but because they've been called to kiss the ring for generation uh, a generation, they don't know how to be Elijah or Elisha or John the Baptist. And as Christians moving forward, now we look to people on our right and to people on our left, and we're able to say yes and no, and we need to be able to say yes and no, and we need to make sure that we don't give any person, a a person or a party, such loyalty that we cannot play the role that God has asked us to play on planet Earth at this time, which is salt and light. It's salt and light. It's pastor and prophet. And so to whatever degree you have been supportive of any political party, and we got people in here who voted Democrat, we got people who voted Republican, I I do love that at Bayou City. It's hard to referee between you guys sometimes, but (laughs) it is a good thing, right? So no matter where you think you fall personally on the political spectrum, be pastoral and be prophetic, right? Because again, we're a mustard seed. And the mustard seed is Rhode Island. 
They're surrounded on all sides, although Rhode Island has a coast, so they're surrounded on three sides. <laughs> and then the last thing, here in America, we should be ambassadors. Going back up to the prophets and pastors, I want you to watch how often you say the word we and just monitor that. Monitor who you are including yourself among. We think this. We do this. We believe that. Because really, I think if I'm reading the Gospels and the, the whole of Scripture right, but especially the teachings of Jesus and the New Testament, um, that we should just be reserved for the family of God, the, the kingdom of God. And we can lend our support or lend our prophetic voice in any direction, but that we should probably be pretty sacred to us. We want to be ambassadors, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. You see it there in the listening guide. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The, the mustard seed does grow. Right? It won't become a tree until the age to come, but it does grow. And it, it grows not through legislation, uh, not through... Uh, a government, it, it grows when you and I take seriously the mission that Jesus has placed in our hands and you and I, we, the family of God, begin to tell people uh, about the kingdom of God and how access into God's kingdom comes through the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's how it goes. And just like most of us don't expect a lot of things to be different when we confess Jesus as Lord, most of us honestly don't expect, expect people to believe us and trust in Christ when we tell them about it. But when you read the book of Acts, I mean, people are coming to the faith. Right? And maybe if we understood our kingdom citizenship, kingdom citizenship better um, and the power of God in that kingdom citizenship, we would... They totally expect people to listen if we tell them about the good news and we'll see the mustard seed grow. When you think about an ambassador of the United States, the, the ambassador of the United States to France is the American in that place. I mean, they set the standard. Right? They speak the message of the United States and they ideally represent all the values of the United States. That's what a good ambassador does. And that is what God has asked us to do in this world, to speak the message of the kingdom of God and to represent its values wherever we go. That's why hypocrisy is such a wound because when we should have been representing the values of eternal life, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the age to come, and we, we don't, we, we drop the ball on the role that God has asked us to play. It's not just that we're being hypocritical and we lack integrity personally. It's, it's that we compromise the mission that God has asked us to live. And what is the message? It is be reconciled to God. 
And remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, that people would see our good works and they would glorify our Father in heaven. When we live out the values of the kingdom, when we live out the values of the age to come, people bump into that. They experience that. When they see uh, the, the way that we love one another, which lots of people love, each other, but ideally when they come into our gatherings, they would be like, well, those people are sort of weird about it, right? I mean, it's, 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 it's off the charts, the way they're generous with one another. And they make sure that anybody who doesn't have enough, they have plenty. They're, they're willing to sacrifice themselves. They consider others' interests as more important than their own interests, right? when, when they experience those values, they'll give glory not to us, not to the mustard seed, but to our Father in heaven, and they'll join us here in the family of God by confessing that Jesus is Lord. So, the most important citizenship that you have is not whatever your passport says. It is is your citizenship in heaven. And I want to encourage you this week to just wrestle with, am am I living that out? If somebody knows me, are they bumping into the age to come? Or am I just sort of a normal person trying to be good in Houston, Texas? Next week, we're going to talk about the kingdom and the future. Jesus says some pretty crazy and outrageous stuff about what happens next on his calendar. And then specifically, what does that mean for this earth that we're on and the universe and the moon? And uh, I drove by a church uh, uh, earlier this week and it said something about Mars. And I was like, that's pretty cool. So I don't know. We might talk about Mars next week. I'll have to do some research. So uh, so if somebody could update the Wikipedia page on Mars, that would be great. That's where I go for all of my... So so that's next week. Uh, Then the week after that, we're going to talk about the kingdom of God and ethnicities. And then the last week, we're going to talk about the kingdom of God and what it means to be a part of a church family. And uh, let's pray together.